And welcome once again to Father Spitzer's Universe is the busy intersection where faith and reason intersect each week. And it's always great to be with you. I'm Doug Keck, the gatekeeper. Mother Angelica started all in 1981 at the Mothership. And of course, your questions are really important to this program, essential in fact. Spitzer's Universe at EWTN.com for those questions. Check out all of Father Spitzer's websites, the Magis Center, Purposeful Universe, SpitzerCenter.org, of course. And Father Spitzer's Universe is naturally available on our EWTN YouTube channel and on our EWTN On Demand page, ever-expanding page. And during this season of Lent, we want you to go to our On Demand page for our Lenten Parish Mission with Father William Casey of the Fathers of Mercy. He's really great. He'll help you have a, a more fruitful Lent as he discusses prayer and its importance to our faith. And it's all for free right now and on demand 24-7. And of course, true and false promises in modern sexual norms from Father's book, The Moral Wisdom of the Catholic Church. We'll be touching on that and in the near future, we'll be moving into some of Father's other and newer books. But speaking of books, we have the book of the month for February. Sounds like one of Father's books, but it's not. It's new scientific evidence for the existence of God by our great friend over in Spain, with EWT in Spain, Jose Carlos Gonzalez Hurtado. And hopefully I'll get a chance to uh, talk with him about his book and also look for him coming soon to EWTN Live. With that, we turn to our own answer man, Father Spitzer. Always good to be with you, Father. Great to be with you too, Doug. And I'll start her off with the prayer here. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your many blessings to us, the blessing especially of this ministry and our ability to serve in it. We ask you to send your Holy Spirit down upon us now, Doug, myself, our whole audience, our staff, so that everything we do and say will be brought to fruition in your will for the good of your people, your church, and your kingdom. We ask all of these things through Jesus our Lord. Amen. And Mary, seat of wisdom, pray, pray for, for us. us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father. It's always great to start things off with prayer. That was, uh, of course, Mother Angelica's uh, favorite thing to do on every program. And always yep. before all of her live shows, she'd pray with the crew off camera before. So it was uh, always essential. A uh, couple of interesting stories, some we, we probably need some prayer about, uh, which was trans yeah. activists defile St. Patrick's Cathedral. Uh, I think we've heard about this story. It's been all over the news. But what's interesting about the event is that instead of uh, it being that we should be outraged as Catholics that this kind of thing had occurred at St. Pat's under false pretenses, uh, they basically lied to St. Patrick's about who it was and what they were doing. But actually, the organization called the Gays and Lesbians Living in a Transgender Society, known as GLITS, Okay, would like to request an explanation from St. Patrick's Cathedral for what they describe as cutting short the funeral mass service of Cecilia Gentile, who apparently uh, uh, they're, they're concerned that there was painfully dismissive and exclusionary language the cathedral used in issuing a statement after what the, this article called the scandalous event. Uh, basically, the story is reported by the Catholic Vote and also by uh, Catholic League talks about this person was a transgender activist, actress, former sex worker, and self-professed atheist, according now to the New York Times, passed away on February 6th, the age of 52. 
and she was eulogized in ways I won't describe. Uh, the founder of Glitz uh, organized the event in comments to the New York Times. This person admitted to deceiving the cathedral in the run-up to the gathering and keeping details about uh, who this person was, quote-unquote, under wraps. Uh, and our good friend, and you know him, uh, Father Gerald Murray, uh, seen many times on yeah. Raymond's show, Canon lawyer and pastor New York yeah. explained to the Catholic vote that the decision to switch from a mass to a funeral service was a pastoral decision to avoid further scandal, justified by the offensive content of the words spoken by the lectors. Uh, it was really, you'd have to go and watch it to realize how bad it was. But the, the pastor um, realized at the time, I don't know was it, whether it was the rector himself, but the, the, the uh -huh. cathedral says they only knew the family and friends were requesting a funeral mass for a Catholic. There's also some discussion about whether this person was indicated, even if you wanted to look them up, they had a death bed conversion. And, you know, so the, obviously there was an attempt to be open to anybody who might find their way back to the faith, you know, at the final moments of their life. Right. But obviously it was deceptive. When they realized what was going on, they at least cut out and said, it can't be a mass. Uh, you know, you know, we'll just yeah. continue on as some sort of service. But uh, I, I can't think that these people are scoring lots of points with uh, people of faith. Do you? Uh, no, I've, I think it's just uh, uh, obviously an attempt to be in your face. Right. And anyway, if you tell a lie to get a, a facility like a church that obviously has, uh, you know, a series of ideals and a series of principles that it must maintain, mm -hmm for the sake of its own mission, and you lie in order to undermine that mission to deliberately, um, uh, you know, uh, do, do something antithetical, really, uh, to the mission of that church. Uh, I think the church has every right, actually, to just stop the entire proceeding. Right. The fact that they switched it from a mass to a service shows, in my view, uh, you know, an attempt at least to uh, for openness, uh, you know, to this person or to some sort of a form of conversion, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But um, they, the church had every right to do this. And in fact, you know, the whole idea of we should be able to be lying and mm -hmm. deceiving and undermining of your mission. It's our right to undo you and your mission. This is part of our raison d'etre. I mean, if that's, you know, obviously it is so absurd Nobody would tolerate it in any other society except here where, of course, it, as uh, once Tacitus said, uh, the most absurd things come to rest as normal. So when he's talking about Rome. So uh, I think uh, pretty much uh, that's what we're dealing with today. And uh, we've got an absurdity that people want, uh, you know, uh, some kind of a mainstream population to kind of come on board and think, yeah, let's go ahead and just, uh, you know, undermine and deceive all these institutions. Mm. It's like saying, let's uh, beat up on the police officers here uh, in our community. Let's not fund them. Let's undermine them. Hey, wait a minute. How come the crime rate's gone up three times? Mm -hmm. And how come nobody wants to be a police officer in our community anymore? Mm -hmm. Hello. Right. I mean, it's just like uh, where people's heads are you know, truly uh, unbelievable. And you look at the demise mm -hmm. of some of these previously well-known, very, you know, destiny, uh, destination cities, 
uh, that have been out there and look right. at where they are today. I mean, their downtowns are in ruins. Uh, you know, they have no, you know, they undermine their tax base. They, you know, every retail establishment is pulling out because right. there's no police protection. I, I just rest my case. I mean, it's, it's the same thing uh, here in this particular case. If the Catholic Church does not defend its turf legitimately, and mm -hmm. it does have a legitimate right to defend its mission and not to let somebody deliberately and deceptively uh, undermine it, right. deceivingly undermine it, then I would have to say at the end of the day, right. um, they, um, you know, uh, we shouldn't even give this another thought. Right. The Catholic Church did something, I think, very merciful and generous, allowing it to be switched uh, to a service and not just saying, right. just cut the whole thing off right now. This is just a pure deception. Anybody right. who comes in under false pretenses doesn't deserve any right uh, to have any kind of service in our facility under that pretense. Right, and I think there was like a thousand people there, so probably if they had tried to stop it altogether, yeah. there would have been some sort of riot. So, uh, But again, yeah. it's interesting because oh, yeah. in your book, uh, and one of the topics we'll be talking about is honesty, <laughs> right? It's interesting too, and it says something about the Catholic Church, I think, and the holiness of the Mass and of our cathedrals is that people with such wayward ideas who are so anti about many of the things the church teaches have this sense that they still find something special there, but that they want to defile it in some way because it is holy. Yeah, I think, uh, again, you know, you look at, uh, um, you know, even I'm not comparing this to Nazi Germany, but there is at least a remote analogy where you can clearly see that once this kind of wave of, uh, you know, rejecting what might be called a traditional Christian morality got off the ground, it almost became a hysteria. Uh, people just got going on it, yeah. and the next thing you know, I mean, they were, you know, anything that looked holy, anything that looked like they were trying to restore a kind of a proper, uh, you know, morality mm -hmm. uh, was just kind of thrown out, and all of these crazy superstitions were, you know, put in there to replace it. I mean, really crazy superstitions that had to do with, uh, you know, uh, all kinds of uh, Satan worship or all kinds of uh, other uh, things that uh, were, you know, almost like going back to mm -hmm. the knights and finding, you know, the spear of Longinus and trying to, you know, use it superstitiously to have mm -hmm. power. And you look at these things and you just go, it's so crazy. I mean, once you kind of abandon God, once you abandon the standard morality with the eight principles that C.S. Lewis talks about, mm -hmm. that's in all of our consciences, right? Uh, it's just part and parcel of of who we are as moral beings gifted with conscience by God in any culture, right. in any religion. Once you've abandoned that sort of mainstream of principles, once you've gone all the way uh, to basically, um, you know, saying the opposite is mm -hmm. true, kind of the Nietzschean angle of the Superman mm -hmm. who's beyond good and evil, once you've got um, into that uh, domain, and you have attacked the holy, it almost becomes mm -hmm. satanically seductive to just keep going. Mm -hmm. It's almost like the, the devil just keep, says, you know, like, keep going for it, keep going for it. And they have no idea who the spirit is that is moving them. 
But I mean, what do you, what spirit is going to attack all that is holy, mm -hmm. right? What spirit is going to attack somebody who's trying to be decent? I mean, what spirit is going to not just attack, uh, you know, holiness itself or principle itself or morality itself, but in the end is going to attack any version of God that teaches anything except what they want. Right. So in other words, if, if you don't like my morality, then I'm attacking the God who might say otherwise. Mm -hmm. Well, once you're at that point, I can tell you uh, the spirit that's motivating you is certainly not a good one. It's very dark indeed. And so uh, yeah. I'll just leave it at that. Right, it's interesting too, because you also mentioned the abolition of man, I think, with C.S. Lewis and the eight points that he has yeah. featured in there, and yeah. also in your book uh, that we're, we're focused on. Here's a story, yeah. uh, a small story, yeah. but I jumped ahead to it because I thought it was interesting with the point you made about some of the cities and, and again, these rules about police and stuff like that. This was one, the American Library Association cited essentially Marxist justifications for urging all libraries to end late penalties and book replacement fees, okay? So uh, this person writes for the Federalist said, our local government library ended uh, late fees in this last year, so I quickly stopped returning books on time. Uh, and they, uh, I just kept ignoring the overdue uh, book notifications the library frantically sent. If there's no penalty, penalty, why should I care? Uh, goes on to say, if yeah. late fee, and also about what about replacement fees? If late fees are social inequities and an economic barrier, yeah. so are replacement fees. The logical outcome of the idea would be to erase yeah. all fines, just as uh, this uh, their resolution states. This would make public libraries basically a tax-sponsored Amazon. Uh, goes on to say, many people don't have the same moral qualms about not stealing but also inconveniencing others that people like I did with the person who I put a book on hold. He was thinking badly about the fact that somebody had the book on hold, he still had the book. Without any external yeah. checks on our natural selfish impulses, the selfish impulses become action far more often. It's the classic tragedy of the commons. It's also another instance of degrading public places in a bigoted assumption that poor people just can't be expected to meet the standards other people can. It stoops to the level of the worst behavior in our society instead of maintaining high expectations for all. It's defining deviancy down, as I think it was Bill Bennett or somebody brought yeah. that up years ago. And it is, we, we keep making yeah. excuses for people, uh, you know, and then we wonder why when we make the excuses for people and there's no downside to their bad behavior, why we don't get more bad behavior, not only from them, but from people who then look at what they're doing and say, well, why, sh why should I bother doing the right thing? Oh yeah, absolutely, and that's just been uh, uh, the name of the game for quite some time. I mean, uh, um, we can see that, you know, Bennett made his comments quite a while back, mm -hmm. and, and now we can see that it continues on and on and on and on. So uh, uh, it's got, you know, now we're gonna just forgive everybody's loans. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. well, if you enter into a loan obligation, the general expectation is that you're willing to pay it off Otherwise, nobody should make the loan. And now, you know, I'm not against forgiving loans for people who are in financial distress or something else, mm -hmm. but to just forgive the loans of people who can pay and entered into that loan obligation freely, I, 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 I just don't get mm -hmm. it. I, uh, why would you let them off the hook? Mm -hmm. I mean, why, why would you? I mean, nobody else is going to get that privilege. Right. Boy, if you tried to say, you know, 
uh, I, I'd like, you know, I, I know I entered into my mortgage, you know, but I mean, this interest rate right now in the current economy is a little high for me. Uh, could you just forgive my loan? You know, nobody is mm -hmm. going to say, go right ahead, that's fine. But we have sort of, you know, lowered the bar or defined deviancy down, mm -hmm. or to put it, you know, in the social norming language, we've, uh, you know, we've allowed the mainstream uh, viewpoint of what's moral to be defined by what we perceive people to be doing now, right. and we see them doing many more immoral things. So if you look at the Gallup poll just over the last 30 years on America's um, uh, perception of uh, the morality of other Americans, it's dropped from we uh, had a majority of people thought Americans were pretty good, not very good, but pretty good, like a B, uh, you know, ranking for a long time. And then we began to see in the late 60s, we see the decline starting to happen until today when we as Americans rate one another as very bad. Mm -hmm. On the whole, uh, we're very, and you look at that and you go, wow. Uh, that that is amazing. There's a perception that we don't even have individual, let alone collective conscience anymore. Uh, you know, and uh, lo you look at the Institute of Business Ethics. It's the same thing. Mm -hmm. uh, just the drop from 2022 uh, to today, uh, there was almost a 20% drop uh, from a 57% rating of you know people thinking that uh, the. Um, uh, most businesses were ethical. Today, it's 40 percent. Uh, you know, it's like, wow, people mm -hmm. are just giving up on the morality, the expectation of moral and ethical conduct. People don't think there's anything motivating them. Of course, you need some kinds of external constraints like a law. Hmm. Of course, you need some kind of external constraints like lending provisions. Of course, you uh, need some external constraints. Like if you get caught um, robbing the store, you're going to jail. Uh, the idea of just letting people off the hook that's because the problem, yeah, right? you're uh, that's right. And so you lower this thing down, and it keeps pushing down. Mm -hmm. So if you de define deviancy downward, and you keep following up with more deviancies allowed, more deviancy is allowed. It just people keep following that trend because you're looking right. at what are other people doing, finding it normative, uh, right. finding it normal. They just go ahead and commit those things and it pushes the deviancy rate even further down and that's what we're stuck right. with. In fact, uh, we're gonna find ourselves in an ethical implosion. Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody's been saying this, you know. I mean, the Gallup poll doesn't state it, but, I mean, it's screaming it out from its data. And you can see the same thing, too, in the various Pew surveys, where it's just screaming out that if we just don't get some kind of interior uh, morality, some mm -hmm. interior principles, go back to some standard belief patterns, go back even to the eight general principles of our conscience that C.S. Lewis talks about in mm -hmm. the appendix to the abolition of man, mm -hmm. if we don't get back to something interior fairly soon, and the law now doesn't provide anything exterior to prevent us from doing things, then the author of that article is absolutely correct. Mm -hmm. We're just gonna fly out of control. It's gonna be like, um, as it were, the, uh, uh, you know, the, the spiral outwards, and mm -hmm. you know, that we're gonna lose uh, the center, 
and once we lose the center, you are going to have ethical implosion and pretty much identity politics uh, is the only thing you'll mm -hmm. be able to grasp at because any idea of a common uh, conscience-based morality, uh, or even religion-based morality, is gonzo. So right. anyway, I, I just... Well, do you think uh, a lot of that, that has to do with, as you were talking about, with that social norming, where so much of that comes from the media? You know, young people, uh, you know, watching yeah. what they see on the, on the web. Certainly, I will tell you from someone who watches a lot of, uh, let's say, BBC kind of British mystery programs or uh -huh. those kinds of things like that, which are fairly well produced. I mean, they're incredibly, uh, you know, social norming. I mean, everybody's either oh, yeah. gay or lesbian. And, you know, anybody who's good is, is a minority. Anybody who is part of the majority is probably bad. Heaven forbid you happen to be anything related to a, to have a belief system like being a priest or any, you're, you're invariably not a good person or, or will turn out by the end of the program to really be a horrible person. And in fact, the drag queen yeah. transvestite uh, who was suspect in the beginning will turn out to be the most, you know, righteous person in the episode. And that's what people are being yeah. fed on a regular basis. Yeah, well, um, it's got a limited lifespan mm -hmm. uh, because, as John Adams observed long ago, uh, you're not going to be able to get a democracy to stand without any interior conviction about morality. And he mm -hmm. added religion. He thought, right. you know, that uh, uh, some form of accountability uh, to a moral God, to a just God, which is what we were given in the Mosaic Covenant, uh, and of course brought to completion in Jesus, if you don't even have some minimal standard of being accountable to a moral God, if you have no accountability to your own conscience, uh, you're going to wind up uh, like Franz Kafka's Yosef mm -hmm. K, right. where you're going to you know, be, as it were, killed uh, by yourself mm -hmm. like a dog. And of course, um, that is the, uh, you know, uh, I think it's the fate of our society. I mean, of course, I can scream it from the yard arm here, but I'm preaching to the choir. So, I mean, uh, what are we going to do uh, to, um, to really solidify this in the minds and hearts of young people? Right. We're really going to have to do a super job. Now, I've tried to put together a little apologetics program mm. for a second um, uh, semester of high school. You know, in, in high, Catholic high schools, uh, you, you do have um, what, what they call optional courses, right? In mm -hmm. the first three years of high school, it's pretty much uh, defined. But you can have these uh, options, and one of them is a moral apologetics course called Challenges of the Modern World, which I put out with Sophia Press. And many of the things I say on this mm -hmm. program, many of the statistics and secular surveys that I bring out, the whole logic of love, what is the Christian view of love? How did Christ change the notion of love, not just in Roman society, but for the, the whole world and indeed the universe for all time? I try to bring these things out, both the ideal and then what happens when you go against the principles that Christ has given mm -hmm. and then look at how we might be able to stay on the right course in our lives and not by the cultural propaganda which tries to tell us that going away from these fundamental principles of sexuality, uh, you know, abortion, life issues, euthanasia, 
If we go away from these things, which we think are so minor, which we think are so victimless, you know, pornography, whatever, if we, if we keep doing it, we're going to have an ethical implosion. I can tell you, you just have to look at these statistics. You just, yeah, everybody says there's no such thing as a slippery slope. Of course there's such a thing as a slippery slope. What do you have to do, experience it every time? As Einstein said, the definition of insanity is repeating the same conduct over and over again, expecting a different result. We're going to get the result of a moral implosion. We're going to get the result of cultural decadence. We're going to get the, the, the result of real cultural bickering. We're going to get the result of real cultural division, severe division. I mean, it used to be we could agree on mm -hmm. fundamental moral principles. Well, boy, I'll tell you, it, this, we have done a wrap-up job listening to the evil spirit because, right. of course, he's got a whole lot of people believing that the values, the principles of your conscience, the values and the principles that belong to all major religions, they're just by the wayside. We're now in the new period of freedom. We're in the new period of identity politics. Wow. We can transcend it all, just like Friedrich Nietzsche in Beyond Good and Evil, except he wound up in the insane asylum and the rubber walls screaming like a maniac until the end of his life. Right. You want that? Go ahead, do it. But in the meantime, my thought is probably not a good idea. I think it's better to just humbly go back to those principles mm -hmm. which are at the foundation of every religion. And of course, certainly not only at the foundation, but at the height and the pinnacle of Christianity. And, and of course, as right. interpreted by the Catholic Church in my Catholic faith. So I would say this is the strategy to implement the way to go. Right, absolutely. One last story quickly that dovetails into um, uh, what we're <coughs> talking about with the, having to do with what happened at, the, at uh, St. Pat's. Um, incident of, uh, it was a report that came from the National Religious Broadcasters have, have a, released their sixth hostility against churches report. Incidents of arson, vandalism, and other hostile acts against U.S. churches rose uh, to at least 436 incidents, more than double the number recorded in 2022, according to the Family Research Council. goes on to say that uh, the, the figures now are eight times greater than they were in 2018 when they began starting to track such incidents. So you're seeing that, you know, played out every uh -huh. day in the street. You, it happens so often you don't even hear about it anymore. It's not unusual. Yeah, well, I mean, all I can say is I was talking about moral implosion, mm -hmm. both individually and collectively. Well, there's yep. another perfectly good example of it. I mean, I'm, I don't think I'm crying wolf here. Mm. I, I think it's uh, definitely going to be right. the fate of our culture. I mean, I think people have to wake up. Uh, I, you know, you and I can't change it. We can try mm -hmm. our best to inform people right. on how to interact with such a culture and how to resist such a culture. But at the end of the day, people are going to have to make up their own minds. They're going to have to say, I, this, this is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. You know, we got to get out and teach our children this traditional morality. We can't just stand around anymore and say, do whatever you want. It's okay. The government will probably forgive the loan anyway. The government will probably, uh, you know, let you off the hook. You can go ahead and deceive people about what your intentions mm -hmm. are, and there should be no consequences to come to you. You can go ahead and teach your children that, but if you do, right. all I can tell you is it'll just hasten not only their own demise, 
but hasten the demise of the family, mm -hmm. hasten the demise of relationships, and ultimately right. hasten the demise of every major institution that was principle-based in the culture, and therefore hasten the right. demise of culture. Well, we live in a culture, it seems like we, we separated the, the risk and benefit analysis was, was the way that you uh, had that equilibrium <clears throat> of people. But once you take away the, the responsibility but maintain the benefit, well, the people who have the benefits and are, are not responsible exactly. will do whatever they want to do. There's, there's, no, there's nothing Absolutely. that holds them back, nothing attenuates them. So. Okay. Absolutely. And of course, it can never sustain itself. I mean, economic laws themselves mm -hmm. will ultimately, you know, judge you. You know, it's, it's not nice to fool father, Mother Nature, but it's not nice to uh, fool either Mother Economics. Mm -hmm. Because I'm telling you, supply and demand and money supply and all the other objective foundations of economics will come back to bite you. Mm -hmm. you, try to, uh, you try to fool the marketplace. The marketplace will come back and, and, and bite you. It's, it's based on laws, which at the end of the day, there's flexibility in them, mm -hmm. but it's, uh, ultimately it has its inelasticity, and when it's got to rebound, it's going to rebound, and it's going to rebound very hard. So I, I just uh, would say that uh, we, we have to wake up in this culture. But again, I'm preaching to the choir here. Right, right. I mean, my audience basically believes me. But uh, I think um, I'm trying to, right. to get this but word they, out in larger and larger Right, context. but it's important because a, a lot of us sense there's a problem. We actually sense that something is wrong, but it helps to have someone better mm -hmm. explain the underlying causes oh, and, yeah. and to reinforce the idea, which is what EWTM is about, really, to re-evangelize yeah. Catholics, to Absolutely. say you're not crazy for believing, you're actually right. These other things are a facade, yeah. they're not real. They're ephemeral, right. they'll come and they'll go, and they're destroying people's lives, yeah. and you need to hold on to the truth, right? Exactly. And that, that's why we're in the ministry, right. and that's why we have the television program. And that's why we're exactly. lucky we have you. We're going to take a break, and then we'll actually get to people's <laughs> questions right after this quick break with Father Spitzer. Much more ahead. Your question. back to part two of Father Spitzer's Universe. Our topic today, True and False Promises in Modern Sexual Norms from Father's Book, which we're going through the moral wisdom of the Catholic Church. And I do want to remind you to check out Father Joseph's ebook, our own Father Joseph, 2024 Lenten Meditations. It's free. Just go to ew10.com forward slash Lent and sign up. And while you're there, you can also get special programming information that will help you deepen your Lenten experience and actually some special programming as well. Check that out, but you know, Father Joseph's great. So speaking of great, we have our own Father Spitzer here, so we're going to get right, right into uh, the first question. Dear Father Spitzer, thank you for the informative, inspiring show. I've heard people say that God loves each individual so much that Jesus would have undergone his entire passion just for one person. Sounds like something Mother would say. Is this, she would certainly say that about the network, is this based on sentiment or does this view align with the church's teachings. Would Jesus have done all that just for you or just for me, Joey? Joey, um, I think that is a not just sentiment. I think it's a proper interpretation of Jesus's teaching. Right. And uh, he, he meant uh, there is no greater love 
that a man can have than to give his life for his friends. And if it's only one friend, then it would be to give his life for his friend. And so for all intents and purposes, yes, um, that is pr very, very proper. Um, and I think he would have gone through all of that uh, for a single friend. But as we mm -hmm. know, um, Jesus has many, many, many friends, uh, but no question about it. Mm -hmm. He would have done it all for a single individual that has inestimable value, even if everybody else should reject him, it would have been well worth it for Jesus. But right. he is much, Absolutely. much more pleased <laughs> with the fact that there are many people who have flocked to him and continue to come to him despite the best efforts of what I would call the secular culture that's very much animated by, um, well, by evil uh, mm. and darkness uh, today, it really is. Right, absolutely. Yeah. And, and again, to paraphrase, Mother Angelica would always say the network, she would do it, if it just saved one soul, then it would do I its work. So she yep. would have been satisfied with what it did. So I'm yep. sure, Mother, that we can tell you it's probably done a lot more than that. But uh, as Mother would say uh, also, yeah. <laughs> our job was to spread the message, get it out there. It's up to the Holy Spirit to open people's hearts and save people's souls, so, but, uh, yep. but, but here's the information. Dear Father Spitzer, Absolutely. this goes to something we talked about earlier in the program. After the recent transgender activist funeral in St. Patrick's Cathedral, the Archdiocese said they offered a massive reparation. What is a massive reparation in regard to a church? Would not some type of purification, exorcism, or reconsecration be needed after such a diabolical occurrence? This was Christine, and they did uh, Cardinal Dolan did say that they had already taken care of that in the sense of the massive reparation. Do you have any insights as to what that in involves? Uh, no, I absolutely uh, do not. I, okay. I heard about that, but uh, uh, nobody ever kind of keyed me in on, on what it was. I, I know there was some form of uh, purification uh, that took place because, of course, some of the statements that were made and mm -hmm. things in the church there were uh, certainly not of the origin of the Holy Spirit or Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. uh, that is for sure. So I know that was also done, but no, I don't know what the reparation yeah. uh, um, uh, is going to consist in. Right. Okay, very good. But I'm sure whatever needed to get done got done. So I think people yeah. should be rest assured with that. Next up, Dear Father Spitzer, our 25-year-old daughter moved home after having eye surgery and is unable to drive or work for a month. She identifies as gender neutral and is taking testosterone injections. She cannot inject herself because of the surgeon asked my wife to do so. My wife and I are totally against this, but my wife has agreed to give her the injections while she is staying uh, with us and this has put a strain on our marriage. We are told by counselors to let our daughter take the hormones since it makes her feel happy. How do we continue to live with this situation? This is KC. Well, I would have to say even though you want to help your daughter mm -hmm. and uh, to support her and love her, you can't do something which is antithetical right. not only to her spiritual health but to her emotional and physical health. The minute you start doing those injections, we now have good 50-year studies mm -hmm. that show that the minute you start, the, mora the mortality rate, that is to say the rate of death, will in it'll triple the mm -hmm. minute you start. In other words, you can expect that you're going to have significant emotional difficulties, 
significant hypertension, significant um, uh, difficulties adapting uh, cellularly to these hormones that are really adapted for, you know, an XX person, um, and you're, you're dumping in um, uh, these uh, uh, XX uh, hormones into an XY mm-hmm. body or vice versa, uh, cells or vice versa, you can expect that it's going to mess up uh, the, the, the metabolism cellularly mm-hmm. and that this should, uh, you know, obviously lead to uh, a great deal of mm-hmm. uh, physical uh, uh, difficulties in the long run. But just point out, the, in the Den Hagen studies, the mortality rate, um, this is a 50-year study in the Netherlands, uh, uh, it goes up by about triple. After trying to significantly pull that down, just 1 or 2%, they've been unable to do it over 50 years. In other words, the very people looking at the, the study, doing the research, mm. were the people trying to pull down that rate and they could not do so. There's something wrong with taking those injections. Second thing to point out to them is this. Look, there's happiness in the short term, there's happiness in the long term. As I I said, any good poll research study looks always at the long term. Mm -hmm. People can have what I would call a kind of a a panacea effect or a kind of uh, an effect of, of really believing um, you know that uh, that this is going to make them happy, and so they kind of are happy because they believe that it will make them happy. You know, in other words, they think this is the solution to all their problems. A panacea is kind of in the forefront of their mind. They've got now getting the hormones. Now they can almost convince themselves. Right, well, like a placebo. How long can this last? And we've seen that in studies, whether oh, it's, it's has a to do with that, where effect. people are getting right. a placebo, and but are recording that they, they feel much better thanks to that water injection or the sugar injection they got or whatever. Yeah, right. that's right. And not only the placebo effect, but it also, they extend it. So they think, for example, if I get the sex change, all my anxiety, so that word all, that panacea, right? All my mm-hmm. problems are going to come to an end. This is, and so you've got this kind of elation. The trouble is, as the same research studies show, you're only going to get about five years worth. Then, after five years worth, you can no longer hide the fact that those anxieties are recurring. Now, it could have been anxieties that came because the person was sexually abused as happens in 40 to 60% of gender euphoria cases. Also, in the, you know, the anxiety in the household, which we've talked about before, mm-hmm. happens in about 80% of gender euphoria cases. These things, uh, dysphoria cases, you have to, in some sense, deal with those anxieties separately. The sex change won't help them. Mm-hmm. The hormones won't help them. And what happens is... You now get to five years out, this placebo slash panacea effect, it's now waning. And all of a sudden, people are going, my anxieties have returned. Mm -hmm. And not only have they returned, but they've returned aggressively. And the reason is because the hormones are really kind of discombobulating my entire emotional makeup. Mm -hmm. These hormones that are not natural to me that have injected into myself are making me not only emotionally much more distraught and tense and, you know, a swinging back and forth, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, 
but they're also, uh, now I, I'm beginning to think, wow, I'm worse off than I was before I had the, the, the hormone injections. Mm -hmm. And now, of course, if you did the surgery along with it, it's permanent. Right. Now you get buyer's remorse. Then you start thinking, the post five year mark, you start looking at that, and all of a sudden you see the rise in suicide rates, right? Yeah. So at first, you know, there might be only like a, a 30 or 40 percent rise in suicide rates, um, you know, at the um, uh, outset of five years. But when you get to the 10 year period, mm -hmm. you can see now that the suicide rates are going up to 1,000 percent. 1,200 percent and of course by the time you get to about 15 years out the suicide rates have increased to 2,000 percent 20 times higher than uh, the regular um, the, the normal untransitioned un uh, right. uh, population so when you put that there um, and you look at those statistics you got to say it's not gonna make you happier in the long run and I would just uh, ask uh, that you, um, I can uh, uh, give you, um, uh, you know, some right. sections of uh, the book I use for the high school students, um, the, uh, uh, which is a Sophia Press book. Mm -hmm. But I could just give you, um, you know, a little uh, page or two from that book, which gives you that data right. very clearly in a language that a high school right. student uh, can understand. Right, and you also and will have, um, have to be careful just, what counselor you're listening to because whoever's counseling this oh, the young woman obviously is in favor of doing this. What I didn't understand in that is somebody uh, obviously is a girl who's a, who's identifying as gender neutral, okay? So why does she need male hormones to identify as gender neutral? I guess maybe to become more like a man but not give up but her woman. But if she already is gender neutral, why does she need that? Because that's what she already is. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, from the vantage point of the state's definition of I am who I say I am. Yeah, yeah. But I've, then, of course, you, right. you kind of have to make the physical conform to it. And the, the obvious contradiction is, well, you're not really right. who you say Absolutely. you are right. until you've gotten the hormones that are really killing you. But and, then it's not dependent on rate. Right. Then it's not times. dependent on what you think. It's dependent on what yeah. hormones you're taking. It's dependent okay. on the chemicals. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. Let's jump to the book, uh, True and False Promises in Modern Sexual Norms, page 189. You say the Catholic Church's teaching on gender theory and sex changes, section three, is salutary for emotional health and relational health, spiritual well-being, and the culture. You go on to say that, moreover, sexual reassignment surgery is a permanent, unnecessary, damaging procedure that will preempt needed therapy to deal with underlying anxiety, depression, and self-rejection, which is exactly what you said. You said we should not encourage yeah. a person to pursue a destructive course of action in order to be affirming or nice, which is exactly what this is about. Yeah, and um, again, I just uh, keep those cases in the forefront of your mind. Great Britain, Finland, Sweden, mm -hmm. Um, uh, 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 Norway, etc. Just keep them in the forefront of your mind because they have reversed all their gender-affirming therapy actions. They have now admitted that the risks, and I would hastily add, the harms far outweigh any anticipated benefits. In other words, it's not only not making you happier, mm -hmm. it's making you much more unhappy and it's making you much more unhealthy 
spiritually, emotionally, and physically. You gotta stop it. I think it is medically unethical. I, I, again, you know, um, there's two societies for pediatrics in, mm -hmm. uh, in the United States. The one, of course, that's more conservative is saying stop this. The one that's uh, more liberal is saying there's no, uh, we have to do a whole bunch mm -hmm. of new studies in light of what the European findings are. My thought is the European mm -hmm. findings are really so definitive and so good. This should be setting off alarm bells in the, uh, um, uh, in the uh, community of pediatrics. This should be turned yeah. around immediately. It is absolutely medically unethical. You'd never do this for any other, can you imagine mm -hmm. the FDA approving something that will has proven to triple the mortality rates in really good longitudinal studies, and, and you, we're just going to approve it, and, and even approve government spending for it. Can you imagine the FDA doing this for anything except this political potato? Right. I mean, that's I, I mean, it's just unbelievable. I mean, can you imagine the FDA approving something that's going to increase suicide rates by a factor of two thousand percent, twenty times higher than the than the general population? Mm -hmm. I rest my case. They would never do anything like it. They'd be sued out of uh, their minds. Well, guess what, you guys? The lawsuits are coming right. because this is a disaster area from the get-go, and all the foot dragging and you know can kicking. Uh, you know this is just going to uh, continue um, uh, to make uh, the lawsuits the general um, malaise within the culture, and certainly the malaise within the transgender population is just right. gonna continue to increase. Why can't we wake up and just look at the data? I mean, I'm just stunned, you know? I mean, at least the Europeans can face it. Maybe we can, in the future, get out of our muddle-headed mm -hmm. political obstinacy and look at the real data that's harming real people, killing real people mm -hmm. at a, just an, an alarmingly increased, staggeringly increased rate. I mean, we just, what is the matter with our health administration? And certainly, what is the matter with our mm -hmm. medical societies that just can't prohibit it outright? I do not know. Right, well, there's a, there's a lot more political activism in so many of these organizations over the years yeah. that have embedded themselves in, you know. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, that, that, that impacts all of these, which is why it's not reflective usually as much as we would think it would be of the general consensus that's out there. Here was a story I thought that fit into what we were just talking about. Uh, an uh -huh. Indiana Catholic husband and wife are petitioning the Supreme Court to hear their case after a state government removed their child from their home after he began identifying as transgender, okay? The Indiana government in 2021 began investigating this family after learning they refused to address their son by his chosen identity, okay? The government subsequently removed their son from their home, placing him in another home that affirmed his transgender belief. The state government subsequently dropped abuse allegations against the couple. Subsequent court decisions upheld the decision to keep the child, though, out of their custody. Although Indiana found all the allegations, the abuse and neglect unsubstantiated, refused to return the child to home, substituting the judgment of the state for that of admittedly fit parents. This filing is going in, uh, to, towards the Supreme Court. But here you have a situation where you're actually just talking about people not willing to affirm that, that when their child suddenly decides that 
you know, I'm going to be something else, and if you don't go along with it, then somehow yeah, you're, that's abuse. And somehow we've gotten a world now where, where all of our children are apparently awards of the state. Well, you know, the Chinese Maoist mentality, the Stalinist mentality, the children do belong to the state. The parents have very little role uh, in the custody of their children, right. the principles of their children, the religion of their children, what, uh, you know, ideals and principles are going to live by. Uh, parents have almost limited authority, and we're going right back to that same kind of totalitarian mentality that the state, you know, supersedes all. And so, um, uh, from my point of view, mm -hmm. people, they were not totalitarian here. We certainly are moving in that direction just as fast as we can move. I mean, the India decision is one of many where mm -hmm. we see it already. It was taking place wholesale in Great Britain. Now, of course, er, that's coming mm -hmm. to a halt and things are kind of t turning around right, right now. But the idea of, you know, just letting children do whatever they wish um, because, of course, uh, the state says that you don't have to obey um, your parents' uh, principles um, and we can uh, put, take you out of a household, put you in another household. Mm -hmm. I mean, of course, the state has the right to do this if the parents are harming, torturing, or otherwise doing something terrible, but to not have the person affirmed in a sexual identity that the parents do not think is real or could be exceedingly harmful, which it is. Mm -hmm. I mean... To, to remove them and do that, the Supreme Court's going to reverse that right. nonsense. Um, and when yeah. they do, I just hope that they make it in a much more universal way that we don't have right. all these things happening in every single state. Yeah. Uh, we just need the rights of parents uh, to be reaffirmed. Right. Well, we needed some of these uh, cases that are that are happening to have <laughs> some uh, large monetary rewards awards put put to them, uh, rather than worrying about chasing people around business deals that happened or didn't happen yeah. in New York. Uh, but some of these other people yeah. to get with these cases put against them and, and for the insurance companies and stuff to, to, to start to deal with some of this. Jumping back into your book on page 189, uh, in this section kind of, kind of wrapping things up, you talk about the Catholic Church's teaching against artificial birth control has led to a continuous stream of criticism both inside and outside the church, yet her predictions about the destructiveness that artificial con contraception would produce particularly sexual revolution, such has turned out to be uncanny, especially uh, Paul VI, of course, especially with respect to increased divorce rates, sexual violence, infidelity, marital dissatisfaction, family instability, uh, and that the whole idea. Furthermore, as Paul VI feared, artificial birth control and its two partners, abortion and sterilization, have been imposed on citizens of many developing countries, his other fear. So regardless of what you like to believe on this issue, Paul VI was a prophet and everything he said came true. And we're dealing with all of this stuff. But like you said before, we yeah. just, we don't like the answer. So we just go and say, does somebody else have another uh, uh, study that we can follow that makes the numbers look better or makes us feel better about what we're doing? Yeah. Well, no one can hide the fact that since uh, artificial birth control came into being, um, you know, came into popular use. Um, let's face facts, um, uh, along with other kinds of, like things like the mechanic, uh, me mechanization of, mm -hmm. of sexuality or the instrumentalization of sexuality, you know, all of these things kind of coincided in the late 60s. But since that time, our, the number of marriages, the rate of marriage, 
has gone down mm -hmm. by a factor of three. So in other words, uh, uh, what you know, we used to have uh, whatever it is, um, X number of marriages per 1,000. I haven't mm -hmm. looked at the data for a while. But now um, we have X divided by three per 1,000. Mm -hmm. So we've literally, uh, you know, uh, uh, the number of marriages that are taking place are reduced by two-thirds uh, within our culture. That's a bad thing. Then the second thing we've noticed is that the rate of divorce has, uh, you know, at the same time since the 1960s, mm -hmm. has doubled and then tripled to the point now today where you basically have a 50% divorce rate um, uh, uh, in the country, whereas in the mid-60s prior uh, to the, you know, the big push on the sexual uh, revolution, you probably had maybe... Uh, you know, a 20% divorce rate. So it just kind of went zooming out of control. And uh, and uh, now you combine the lowered marriage rate with the increased divorce rate and the increased rate of cohabitation, and you can pretty much see three things. Number one, boy, oh boy, relationships are like fluid mm -hmm. compared to what they were prior to the sexual revolution. Children are much worse off. Like, I mean much worse off in every significant category from depression and anxiety, stability, sense of security, sense of identity, sense of principles, sense of interacting with the culture. Children are just astoundingly much worse off than they were. Obviously, if you, um, if you compare children raised in a stable, secure environment, that has moral principles, and oftentimes that's mm -hmm. accompanied by religious principles. If you look at that statistic compared with the statistic of kids who are um, born in a cohabitating relationship or children of divorce, as uh, uh, Elizabeth Mar uh, um, um, uh, Marquette would uh, call it, um, you know, you, you look at all of these things and you can see that, wow, the children from the stable environment are so much better off. The killing of the family, the killing of marriage, the increase of divorce has been horrible. And I mean, sexual violence, man, Pope Pius, I mean, uh, uh, Pope uh, Paul VI was utterly, uh, you know, um, uh, prophetic in this regard. Right. I mean, uh, five times increase in, in uh, violent rape alone, a five times increase since the mid-60s to today. That's bad. I mean, so everybody says, oh, no, we're getting so much more sensitive to it, and people are just making more reports. No, no, when you discount those factors, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, 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 and put them into the statistical analysis, yeah. at the end of the day, it's a real five times increase yeah. in sexual rape. People should be concerned. And you look at the statistics of the number of girls who will be raped before 11, wow. and the number of girls who may not, uh, between the age of 12 and 20 that are going to be raped uh, by the end, if you look at those statistics, they have massively increased. And so if, if you, uh, um, uh, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you right. look at what's gone on, Paul VI was 100% correct Absolutely. about the effects of literally separating off a commitment toward an exclusive permanent relationship in marriage. You separate that off from sexuality, and sexuality is right. going to become violent. Um, sexuality is going to become aggressive. And then you add the pornography right. into the mix with all of its depression yes. 
an increase in sexual violence, and it's a disaster. Right, it's a cauldron. Yeah. It's so, a cauldron of, uh, you know, yeah. of all of these things coming, uh, unfortunately, yeah. home to roost. And speaking of, uh, at the end of the day, it's our end of the day, so if you'll give us your uh, <laughs> prayer on the way out the door, that would be great. Absolutely. Your blessing. <clears throat> Bow your heads and pray for God's blessing. And may Almighty God send His Holy Spirit down upon you to inspire you and guide you that you might have the wisdom of the ages, the wisdom of Christ Jesus, the wisdom of that same Spirit, so that you might see all of the foolishness of the culture, see all of the unwisdom of the culture, and bring it to fruition by resisting it and leading those around you into the fullness of light and love as Jesus has taught through his church. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father Spitzer. A pleasure as always. See you next week. And don't forget that Father Spitzer's books and DVDs are nationally available through our EWTN Religious Catalog. Next week, we'll continue on with Father's book on the moral wisdom of the Catholic Church, get into some new topics. And this weekend on Bookmark, speaking of Pope Paul the sixth, we've got Pope St. Paul VI, the pictorial perspective, and also Prophet and Pilgrim of Peace, 99 Sayings by Pope St. Pius VI by author Carl A. Schultz. Check out that interview, two books. And we've got Lenten Reflections Sunday at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time, recorded in the Basilica of Our Lady of Walsingham in Norfolk, England. These weekly reflections explore the meaning of Lent and help you prepare for the Lord's resurrection. And that's where our headquarters is in the UK. So check that out. Check us out next time right here on Father Spitzer's Universe. We'll see you next time.